Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Zone One Digest, the best of Zone One Radio, hosted by a tiny little hobgoblin carried around in our station manager's pocket. I am that hobgoblin. I'm Stuart. Hello. And to start the show, we got an awesome little clip from London Arts with its finger on the pulse of London's culture. Veteran actress Jenny Runacre headed to the Lyric Theatre in Hammersmith to talk to the director and star of the Vesterport Theatre Company's production of The Metamorphosis, Franz Kafka's timeless classic about a man that wakes up and finds he's been turned into a nasty little bug. If you think that theatre is a difficult medium by which to tell that particular story, well, that's because it is. Let's have a listen. Hello, and here we are in the Lyric Theatre, Hammersmith, and I'm talking to Giesli Oren Garsten. Am I saying that right, Giesli? Yeah. Ern Garderson, yeah. Ern Garderson. And I've just seen your amazing production of Metamorphosis okay. here on at the Lyric. Yeah. Can you tell me, I, I know you've done a lot of work and I know you've got this wonderful Icelandic company, Vestuport. What made you choose Kafka? Well, actually, uh, it was David Farr, my co-director and adapter. We, 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 we adapted and directed this together. He was the artistic director of the Lyric Hammersmith when I was here performing in a production of Nights at the Circus with the Nihai Theatre Company directed by Emma Rice and we were at the bar David Farr and I and um, he said we should do something together we should work on something and and I didn't mind that and then he came up with the idea um, what do you think about Metamorphosis and I remember reading it when I was 18 years old in high school so I instantly knew that that would be something I'd, I'd be interested in and the first thing that came to my mind was let's do it where Gregor's room is pretty much upside down and what the family see is this guy upside down and they have no idea what's happened they have no idea how to tackle it or what to do so I called the set designer that I very often work with wonderful sets I have to say it's a great Mm -hmm. set isn't it Börkur Jonsson another tricky name for you Uh, (laughs) he um, he then uh, flew over from Iceland and on the plane I kind of described to him the idea that I had for the set and and he drew on a piece of a napkin on the way out here um, the set and it's identical to what you see here on stage. Yeah, brilliant. Mm. And it's, it was a really nice process. Usually it's a very long and hard process whenever you're... Um, directing and setting up a, a new show finding the concept in the world and, and making it all work and finding the solutions but but this one was one of the one of the easy ones in a way that we just struck an idea right away that worked. and how did you then work on the script i mean how did you get the script together well what we did uh with the actors we sat down with the book and we pretty much storylined or storyboarded the the production so we'd sit the actors and we'd go through a whole book because we knew what the set was we knew what the world was so in practicality we could talk about okay you're there and then you walk up the stairs onto the second floor where Gregor's room is and he's upside down and you probably scream or something and then the sister goes up goes upstairs as well and then the mother follows and then the father goes down so we kind of just in in, in a practical way solved the journey um, of of of, of the production in a way and then David Farr went away and he, he, he put the words to that journey so you didn't uh, sort of do devising workshops or the words yourself and then David picked out certain things that he thought should, should no, work or the, not the, no this is no and then and then 
Uh, and then, uh, you know, he, he did an adaptation and of course then a lot of things would change and change uh, in, in, in the rehearsal process and we'd play with ideas and, and, and we, we certainly um, devised a lot of stuff, you know, trying things out and how stylized should it be, how choreographed should it be, how heightened should it be, how naturalistic, so we played with a lot of different things. London Arts can be heard every week on zone1radio.com facebook.com slash zone1radio Hello ladies and gentlemen, this is Zone 1 Digest The epic show of clips and stuff I'm your host, Stuart Hardy, the monster from beneath the Thames, and I'm here to present a clip from London GP, Zomon Radio's motorsport show, where this week, Matthew Layton, station founder, Andy Vanderberg, autosport editor-in-chief, and a man named Benjamin, who neither of them have ever met before, talked about an underappreciated area of motorsport, Formula 3, which often gets shoved into girls' locker rooms naked and given wet willies by Formula 1. But Matthew and co are here to try and bring some dignity back to the underdog of motorsport. Let's have a listen. This is Someone Radio. I actually only know the gentleman sitting opposite me as Benjamin. Benjamin, who are you and what do you have to do with, with British Formula 3? Well, I, I work for SRO and we organise uh, several racing uh, and promote events. Uh, F3 is one of them, also British GT, the Blancpain Endurance Series, most around the world. And I concentrate on national which is racing in the UK and British F3 comes under, under that. And you've just announced the uh, events for this season, haven't you? What's coming we've, up? We've adjusted our calendar to fit the environment and the condition we are uh, now facing. Uh, we've downscaled uh, our original calendar from 10 events to 4 events. Uh, looking at the environment and uh, the uh, economical situation, and the history of British F3, we felt it was important to safeguard this uh, heritage because we didn't have enough interest from drivers and the competition uh, we're currently facing was uh, was a little bit worrying, to say the least. Okay, well, let's keep it positive for the moment. What is the nature of the series for someone who hasn't heard of it before? Our typical listener likes the Formula 1 on BBC One and then and is looking for something a little more interesting. Why, why is Formula 3 so important? Formula, what is it? Formula 3 is one of the um, one of the racing steps to that takes you to Formula 1. It's for, British Formula 3 has been in existence for 62 years and it's brought a lot of talent to F1 and other, and other uh, racing series, but F1 being the pinnacle of, of motor racing for many, many young racing fans and, and, and adults. Um, so we've been, uh, drivers like Ayrton Senna have uh, gone through this uh, Formula 3, uh, Mika Hakkinen, uh, more recent ones, uh, I'm trying to remember his name, um, Jean-Éric Jensen Button. Never heard of him. Jensen Button. <laughs> Jean-Éric Verne, which is a very nice young man, and he did extremely well two seasons ago. Two seasons ago? Or, yes, two seasons ago already, where he won, I don't know, more, more than half of the races, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ricard, Daniele Ricciardo. So all those guys at the moment have done British F3 and have, uh, have uh, reached a pinnacle 
and are now in Formula One and doing pretty well. But both of those, when you, when if like me, you watch the Formula One on BBC One, you know that uh, uh, Daniel Ricciardo or Daniele Ricciardo, however you want to pronounce it, he's considered as his fan one of the serious candidates. It, it, it's it's a good proving ground or has been historically and, and, and is taken very seriously isn't it? Yes definitely it's it's a, it's always been considered a, a, an essential part of a, a, a potential F1 driver to go through the F3 uh, F3 school and uh, definitely it teaches the, the young man to uh, to learn the skills of those formula which will uh, which will reflect in F1 at a, at a higher level Okay, I can start to see our first problem. And our first problem, if you say John O'Fern got to Formula One by winning over half of the races two seasons ago, and you're saying that only four races this season, is that a proving ground? Uh, well, obviously it's reduced, so uh, it's, 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 it's won't have the same effect. This has never happened before. We've, uh, the reason why we've gone to four events is to safeguard the, the, the series uh, doing more would not have been logical because it would have been achievable so we said right we're gonna we, we're gonna downscale it to the major events so still very nice mm -hmm. just a little uh, slim slimline version to make sure that we bounce back next year London GP can be heard every week on zone1radio.com this is zone1radio Hello ladies and gentlemen, I'm Stuart Hardy and this is Zone 1 Digest, the best of Zone 1 Radio. And I'd like all of you to give David Bailey, MBE, a warm welcome back to Zone 1 Radio with his awesome Worldwide Roots show, showcasing the best music from around the world. To be quite frank, Mr. Bailey is far too good for my puerile mocking and too good for this show really. And if you're still listening to me blather on instead of going to zone1radio.com and listening to his Marley special, I'm at a loss quite frankly. Here's some of this week's worldwide roots. Worldwide roots is brought to you by Boss Jock Studio. Podcast from iOS. No PC needed. Music from around the world with David Bailey. This is Worldwide Roots. Worldwide Roots with me, David Bailey. Thanks for joining me on this Marley special and a relaunch of the podcast. It's all being done from an iPad now. So I have my portable studio, so hopefully in the coming year getting out and about and doing the show live from wherever I am. That was Basu, Basaku, Kuyate and Nagoni Fuller. And uh, if you want to hear us, you can find us at the following places. We're on the web at uh, zone1radio.com, the community radio station for central London. We're also uh, part of the programme schedule for Belgrade Life Radio, uh, the expat radio station for uh, Belgrade. So you can find us there. We're also, as a podcast, uh, on Audioboo and uh, Mixcloud as well. You can subscribe to us uh, on iTunes. I'll give you the Twitter address and the email address uh, where to find us a little later on. So the whole of this show giving you a feel for the music, the diverse music uh, that comes from Mali, a country that uh, has been suffering recently um, with um, some, I don't know if you can call them insurgents or terrorists or whatever, but there is a, a jihadist movement that wants to rip the tongues and throats out of people uh, who create really cool music and Mali has been world famous for great world music for years um, now that's that's 
situation seems to be turning around, so let's see how things develop. Keep our fingers crossed for the people of Mali. Um, I'm also involved uh, on the sidelines, uh, especially here in Bosnia, where my studio is helping blind people out. And it was very fortuitous to find uh, that I've got a piece of music from a very famous blind duo, uh, Amadou and Mariam. They're from uh, Bamako. Uh, they started their musical career in the early 1990s. They've uh, appeared at most of the international festivals around the world, including Glastonbury. They've even uh, jammed with Stevie Wonder. Um, so I thought, let's have something from uh, them. This is a great song. It's called Senespa Bon.
Unfortunately, that's all I've got time for on Zone 1 Digest this week, except for one last little clip. And I'd just like to say that In Good Taste have got in contact with me and apologised during that last clip for threatening the lives of cute little bunny rabbits everywhere. They said they didn't really mean it and that they wouldn't do it again. So I let them off with only an hour on the naughty step. Um, thanks for listening and stay tuned to all of the great content we've got coming up every week on Zone1Radio.com. That was Rachel McCormack of Catalan Cooking. But where would an authentic Spanish meal be without a real Spanish wine to go with it? So in search of the perfect bottle, we headed to Moreno Wines, a specialist Spanish wine merchant near Maida Vale. This little shop not only stocks an astounding selection of vintage Spanish wines, but we'd heard that it also has a particularly intriguing history. The the company was founded in 1972 by Juan Moreno, um, who moved over from Spain. It was a a political move, so he was uh, sort of keen to get out of the country, and there were a lot of people doing the same thing at the time. And the company is still owned by the family, still owned by the Moreno family. We're on to third generation now. So uh, his son, Manuel, took over. Obviously, Juan is no longer with us. And now his two children are directors of the company. This is the Aladdin's Cave. Wow, there's some really old ones here. Uh, well, 1925. Blimey. Uh, uh, probably everything of this is... You were born well after most of these wines. So, 76, 70. And there's a bottle of sherry from... 1939. Let's just pop that in there. Apparently, I haven't tasted it, but uh, apparently it's fantastic. Uh, I'm in the jewel in their crown, so that's from uh, 1878, 1882, 1884, 1886, 1889, and 1899. Wow, and what kind of wine is it? It's a white wine from Rioja, it's, and it's a white, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know, potentially, I think it's, well, it could be undrinkable. I imagine, because, I mean, you can't even read the label no, anymore. There's but, quite a lot of mould around. But that's... Well, that's going to be for a collector. Yeah. I mean, what would you say makes Spanish wine different, I mean, better, one might say, than other wines? I think the climate. I think uh, they have a fantastic climate. And when you think about it, if you go to somewhere like France, they're using Cabernet, Merlot, lots and lots of different grapes. In Spain, they pretty much use one grape for their reds, uh, Tempranillo, and it's pretty much every Spanish wine is going to be made from Tempranillo. They mm-hmm. may blend a little bit of something else in it, but the majority of them, it's all Tempranillo. They call it different names. They call it Tinto del País, um, Tinto del Toro, and it has regional names, but it's all Tempranillo. Um, but I think that uh, they have a fantastic climate over there, and it's a very fertile country. You have sort of some low-lying areas. You have some mountainous regions. Um, you have coastal areas. So I'm always stunned that one grape can make so many different varieties of wine. What would you say was the defining taste? I think they have a great depth of flavour. So you have really sort of nice, deep flavours with good balance. There's sometimes that little lick of a leathery note in there, so it's like a little smell of leather. Um, You get some nice spicy wines, hints of cloves and things like that. And I think that basically designed to go with Spanish food. Mm -hmm. So Italian food, goes very well with Italian wine. I think Spanish 
style food using the spices of Spain, um, you recognize some of the similarities in the wine. How popular would you say Spanish wine is in England? I think that Spanish wine has become more popular um, because I think you get excellent value for money. At the lower end of the range, I think the wines are very, very good quality. At the upper end of the range, um, some absolutely stunning wines, which will beat any other wine in the world. So I heard that um, Spanish wines are aged um, in oak barrels, and how long they stay in the barrels defines what kind of category wine they are. Could you just tell me a bit about that? That's right. It's um, there, there are three main categories. There's uh, Criantha, Reserva, and Gran Reserva. Now, that doesn't mean that one is better than the other, but usually the Gran Reserva is only made in very special years when the vintage is particularly good. So the two main categories are going to be Criantha and Reserva. Um, that's not to say that one is better than the other. Um, the Crianthas are matured for at least a year in oak barrels. Um, then they have to spend another year in the bottle before they're actually released to the market. And with a reserver, they have three years aging, um, at least one year in oak, but it's usually more, um, and then another two years in the bottle before they're released. And with the grand reserver, it must spend five years maturing, three years in a barrel, and a further two in the bottle before it's actually released. Now, that might sound complicated. Um, you also have wines which are just called joven, which are very young wines. Um, they may spend up to three months in oak, so almost undetectable. Zone One Radio. What's the pudding called? A hazelnut soup with hazelnut crocanti. Should we think of that? What is it? Um, it's a moscatel. That's lovely. Isn't it just? Is that that's more of a sherry? Is it a fortified wine? Um, it is a fortified wine, but it's a, it's a really light style of wine. That's a spittoon. It is, yeah. Well, I've never used one of those. Have you not? No. It's, it's essential. Uh, it's essential in the wine trade anyway. All right, let's go for this one. That's lovely. Yeah. I think that's the one to have with your hazelnut pudding. That is beautiful. Where is it, whereabouts is it from? Uh, that's from... from Montilla down in the south. No, it tastes amazing. So that comes from just outside the Sherry region. So if we're going to go back and make a hazelnut dessert, you would say that this would be something that would go really well with it? I think that would be a really good match. It's, uh, it's made from uh, Moscatel, so, mm -hmm. and Moscatel is commonly known as Muscat in other countries. Um, but I think that uh, and it's not such a heavy wine, so you get a nice richness with the wine and you get that sort of nice sort of malty nose, um, a little bit of dried fruit in there as well, um, and, a, and a little bit of acidity. And because the hazelnut dessert has the, the acidity of the nut, I think that they balance each other very well. I think it's important just to get the balance. So if you have a very heavy, rich food, drink a, a fairly hefty, rich wine. If you're drinking something lighter, then drink a lighter wine. That was Martin from Moreno Wines. Taste can be heard every week on zone1radio.com. Zone1radio.com.